Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We've been doing a series called Take Heart, and it's a survey of the letter to the Philippians from the Apostle Paul. And today, today we're going to actually look at something that is um, one of the most powerful, impactful texts of Scripture in the entire Bible, and it's really a blueprint for us. And so my message today is the blueprint of Jesus, and here's the idea, like Him, you have to go lower to be lifted higher. You have to go lower to be lifted higher. I have observed something, and that is that there is a lot of pride in our current age. And when I say pride, I mean personally, human beings, all of us, if we're not careful, can give in to that root sin of pride. And think, hey, we got it together. Other people aren't quite where we're at. We're a little better. We're a little superior to those below us. And I I was reading um, some some funny illustrations about that. And here's one. I I think you'll appreciate it. Did you hear the one about the pastor who said he had a wonderful sermon on humility, but he was waiting for a large crowd before he could preach it? (laughs) I like that one. George Washington Carver, the man who actually kind of discovered peanut butter or developed peanut butter and many other things from peanuts, said this. Uh, He developed hundreds of useful products from the peanut and said this. When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. (laughs) And he told me. I like it. Sportscaster and former baseball great Ralph Kiner tells the following story. After the season in which I hit 37 home runs, I asked Pittsburgh Pirates general manager Branch Rickey for a raise. He refused me. I led the league in homers, I reminded him. Where did we finish as a team? Rickey asked him. Last, I replied. Well, Rickey said, we can finish last without you. It's a sense of perspective, isn't it? You know, in my own life, I've had times when the Lord has just reminded me I'm not all that. Have you ever experienced that? You know, you're going along, kind of, you think you got it together, you think you've got life figured out a little bit, and you kind of feel sorry for those poor peasants that don't, right? And then God comes along and does something that reminds you that you're not all that, that you don't know as much as you think you know. And uh, that you are in desperate need of His grace to even draw breath. And my message today is really going to look at that. And, and so I'm going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to look at the blueprint of Jesus. My first section is simply from verses 1 through 4. It's the idea of this. Live humbly to lift others up. And I want you to look with me. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation today because I liked the way it read. I felt like it was easier to grasp. Verse 1, and we'll start there and we'll go through verse 4. Look at this text here. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? 
And this is kind of rhetorical questioning. So I'll just ask this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Three of you think so. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Uh, Got a little quieter right there. (laughs) Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Amen. Anybody get whacked right there? You know, Paul is saying this, it's it's a simple concept. If your relationship with Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit has benefited your life and changed you, pass it on and stay in an attitude of humility and unity. And as we'll see later as we teach through Philippians, the Philippian church was a, a really wonderful church. There was very little for the Apostle Paul to correct. But one thing that was beginning to sneak in, one thing that was beginning to seep in to the attitude of the church was division. Division was beginning to happen. There were people from outside, Judaizers, who were distorting the gospel. They were distorting who Jesus Christ was. And they were coming into the church and they were sowing seeds of disunity. And then there were, there were these two women. We'll hear about them a little bit later. But there were two women in the church who were prominent servants, prominent leaders in the church who were having a huge impact, but they were fighting with each other. And Paul, he exhorts them later in the book, uh, you guys please work out your conflicts, and we'll see that later. But division was starting to happen, and here's one thing you can count on. Wherever division exists, pride is close at hand. I want you to think about it. Think about it in your own relationships in life. Think about it in marriage, friendships, in your workplace. Most of the time, the reason we begin to have conflict and divide with people is because we have a really difficult time humbling ourselves. Humility doesn't come natural to human beings. It doesn't. Pride seems to have worked its way in the fall. When we sinned, it seems to have worked its way all through our being. And many people, i I never forget years ago, a young preacher that I knew told me, he said, you know, God has set me free from pride. I don't struggle with that anymore. And I remember thinking, oops, you don't get it, dude. Because pride isn't something that gets cast out of you. It's not like a demon. Pride is something that has... In inner entwined itself, entwined itself into the human heart and the human nature. Now the gospel can heal us, the gospel can deliver us, but it's not like once that thing gets dealt with in your life, you never deal with it again. It's always waiting, it's always hanging out in the background, waiting to reveal itself. Well, actually, it's always hanging out in the background, waiting to keep itself hidden from you, but it reveals itself to everybody else. Right, And so we all struggle with it. Even if you're sitting here and people say of you all the time, you're such a lowly and humble person, you probably struggle with a lot of pride just from that statement. Thank you, I know, yeah. Well, what can I say, you know? I'm just a low down, no good scody dope, praise the Lord. Right? 
So Paul is, he's telling these people, he's saying, listen, you need to get along here. He's making this point. And basically Paul's saying, if Jesus has blessed you and changed your life, then love each other and walk together in love and unity. And his point is, is when you've been impacted from the inside out, when God's grace and the good news of this gospel has changed you from the inside out, it needs to work itself out into human relationships, right? Secondly, in this same text, he, he, he basically is telling us if we lift up others, we can live unselfishly. Paul shows us that love and unity must be expressed in tangible ways. We're to count others more significant than ourselves and look out for others' interests, not just our own. So he's saying, listen, words aren't enough. You can tell somebody all day long, I love you or you're important to me, but you have to demonstrate it in tangible ways. And one of the ways you do that is you show interest in people. I've learned in my own life, and I'm still learning, but I've learned in my own life that just listening to somebody else's story says a whole lot to them about them being loved and cared for. The problem that most of us have, and I'm right there with you, the problem that most of us have is we love to listen to ourselves. We love to hear ourselves speak. We love to talk about me, myself, and I. The three of us hang out all the time. You should get to know us sometime. And we forget many times that people are yearning to tell their story. People are hungry to have somebody to talk to. I really believe, now, you know, somebody's going to probably shoot me down over this one. I think the data is beginning to bear it out, though. But one study after another shows that one of the problems in our country is the lack of socializing, the lack of connecting, and that people are isolated and they're alone. I believe a lot of mental illness is just simply because people don't have anybody to talk to. And so what do we do? We isolate ourselves behind a screen or in front of a phone, and we talk to people, and we get angry, and we politicize and religiousize, and rest of the eyes is all over Facebook and social media, and we keep ourselves isolated, and we die from loneliness within. And I'll tell you, some of it's just because there's a, lot, a whole lot of pride going on. And we would take some time to listen. We take some time to engage people. We take some time to actually find out about other people's stories. I think we'd see a lot of folks healed. Just saying. The second section now is the pattern. And this is what I want you to see. That when Paul, many times in his letters, when he would share a principle or share an idea, he would follow it as Jesus often did in his teaching with a concrete picture, something that they could get a hold of, chew on, that would demonstrate the very things he's talking about. So what's he do? He goes to the highest possible example that you could. He goes to Jesus, and he shows us the blueprint of Jesus, which is lower to higher. You can't go up unless you go down. You can't go high unless you go low. Many of us, we want to get to the top, right? And it doesn't matter who we step on. It doesn't matter who we use to get there. He's saying, that's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom. Let me show you the Jesus way. The Jesus way isn't trying to get its way. The Jesus way is laying down our life for others that they might be lifted up. And in the process, we come to the highest place we ever could. Amen. Verses 5 through 11 in the New Living Translation says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look at this now. This is profound. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that a powerful section of Scripture? I want you to know that's one of the most powerful sections of Scripture within the Bible, one of the clearest pictures of the deity of Jesus and what theologians call the incarnation, that God came down into the flesh. Now, a couple of of background uh, things about this text. First of all, this is a song. Almost all scholars agree this is a song or a poem, likely a hymn that was sung in the early church. It's an early Christian hymn that captures what Jesus did when he came into the earth as a human being. Some scholars think Paul wrote it. Others think it may have pre-existed Paul's writing, and he simply put it into his letter to make his point. Songs at that time were used to teach people who Jesus really was. This is powerful because it captures the mystery of the Incarnation. The incarnation is that miracle where God became human in Jesus Christ to atone for our sin and bring us back into right relationship with God. God came from the highest place to the lowest place that He might lift us from the lowest place back to the highest place. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what's so powerful. And he starts out by saying this, followers of Jesus are to have the same attitude that Jesus has. Wow. That attitude, as we shall see in the verses ahead, is humility and servanthood. This attitude of being a humble, poured out, selfless Savior who loved us so much that He would die for us. We are to act the same way toward those around us. Now let me stop here and make something very clear. Meekness is not weakness. Though Jesus showed us total weakness when He died on the cross, and in His weakness, he demonstrated true power. But let, let, let me be clear on something. Meekness is not weakness. I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're in an abusive marriage, you sit there and take the abuse. I'm not saying if you're in an abusive relationship with anybody, you just kind of take it. I'm not saying that we don't stand up for what is righteous and good. But I think many times in our life we will recognize that what we're getting ready to take a stand for isn't really about what's right or good or true. It's just us wanting to assert our own will and get our own way. And we cloak it with, uh, this is right, and I need to say what I'm going to say. But we don't really examine the true motive of the heart, which is self-assertion, which is I have to be on top and you have to be below, which is I win and you lose. And so if that motivation is at work within us, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus is saying, it's got to die. It's got to go. Because I'll tell you, you look at Jesus and he was both humble and self-sacrificial and he acted as a servant and a slave. And other times when he spoke, it was with such authority that men literally fell backwards to the ground. So don't confuse the idea of humility and meekness with some kind of weakness that just says, I'm not going to do anything to stand up for what's right or good. Being weak and being meek and being humble is just, you know, completely like disappearing. No. It's actually being confident 
in who God is and understanding who you are and really self-assessing yourself in an accurate way. Is this speaking to anybody? And then the next point you see in this text, which is profound, and, and that is that Jesus was God, is God. Now think about this. This text is one of the clearest we have in the Bible to show us that Jesus is the Yahweh, that's the Hebrew transliteration for the Old Testament name of God of the Bible. Whenever you look in the Old Testament, I want you to just notice this next time you're reading the Bible, you look in the Old Testament in your translation and you see the words, the Lord or Lord, and they're probably in caps. That is the Hebrew word, Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh. That's the name of God. So, this, is, this text is one of the clearest we have to show us that Jesus is the Yahweh of the Bible and that the Trinity is truly God's nature. Remember, before Jesus received the name Jesus as a newly conceived baby in Mary's womb, He was eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. His name wasn't Jesus at that time. He was co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternal glory and intimate union. So remember, Jesus pre-existed when He came to the earth and He was with the Father Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in a divine unity, inseparable, indivisible, and yet distinct. Wow, that's profound. We don't have anything like that on earth, so how do we explain that? How do we describe that? Well, just remember this about God. God is not merely three-dimensional. Even those who study quantum physics and quantum sciences say that there are likely at least that we can observe 10 to 11 different dimensions. Okay, so God is multidimensional. In fact, I would say He's infinitely dimensional. He's beyond dimension. So when we think about God being three persons in one essence, indivisible, co-equal, co-eternal, uh, we go, I, we don't have anything like that on planet Earth to compare it to. That's okay. We don't need to. We're talking about God, right? We're talking about one who is beyond boundary and can't be quantified. And that's our problem many times is we want to quantify. We want to lock God in a box. We want to figure Him out and manage Him. We want to make Him small like us so that then we can kind of tell Him what to do and He'll be our little servant and He'll make our life go the way we want it to because God exists for us to make us happy. That's what many of us believe. What we see in the Scripture is that God is beyond anything we can even begin to wrap our heads around. When we look at the size of the universe alone, what we can observe about it, and we see how incredibly, almost infinitely large it is, and then we understand that all things are contained within Him, now our minds are really blown. Amen? So this is the Jesus that became human. He's God. And now we go into the descent. He went lower. Lower, the descent. And I want you to notice how Paul writes this in an order. He takes us lower and lower and lower. The first thing is, Jesus did not cling to His place as God. Did you notice that in the text? He didn't cling to His place as God. And I'm going to say something, a refrain over and over as I go through each point. But here's my refrain. He did it all for love. Can you say that with me? He did it all for love. Let's say it again. He did it all for love. To save us in our sin, Jesus had to enter into the full human experience. He couldn't act as God to save the world, but He had to save us as a man. 
See, that's the profound mystery. There is no other religion. There is no other uh, thinking system, theological construct, philosophy of man where the idea is that God Himself recognizing the need of man actually came down and became one of us. I mean, there are mythologies and the ancient Greek mythologies and some in Egypt and other places where gods took on human-like qualities or became human beings in these mythologies, but it was nothing like the incarnation where God Himself enfleshed Himself and became one of us. Secondly, He gave up His divine privileges. I want you to think about this. And He did it all for love. He did it all for love. Jesus never quit being God when He came to the earth. But He did, listen, He did lay aside His divine initiative to act as God. So when Jesus, when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were having this eternal conversation somewhere back in eternity past about what the incarnation would be and what it would take to save humanity and rescue us from sin and death, when that was happening somewhere within that conversation, Jesus said, I'm going to lay aside It's the only way this is going to work. It's the only way I can redeem them. It's the only way I can rescue them. I must lay aside all divine initiative to act as God. And then, being a man full of the Holy Spirit, I will do only what the Father shows me and say only what the Father tells me. And we see that over and over through the New Testament Gospels as Jesus speaks about His relationship with His Father. He says, I heal because the Father told me to heal. I speak because I'm speaking from the Father's authority. So all that Jesus did was as a man under submission to the Father, full of the Holy Spirit, that He might experience what you and I experience. He gave up his divine privileges. He laid aside his divine initiative. He didn't use raw power to conquer sin like he did when he performed miracles to create the universe. Because did you know Jesus created the universe according to John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1? So he didn't use the raw power to conquer sin. He didn't use miracles when he, cre- when he created the universe like that. Or he didn't, re- like when he rescued Israel out of Egypt with plagues and signs and wonders. He conquered sin with humility and self-sacrificial love. Weakness became power. Defeat became victory. Death brought us life. He took our sin and penalty upon Himself. It was the only way that He could overcome sin and death. Next, He became human. That's what the text says. He became human. And I've already said that. And why? He did it all for love. Are you getting it? He did it all for love. His motivating factor was God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This was a huge step down. This is much greater than you and I, you or I becoming a slug or an insect. This is a much greater lowering than if you became a single-celled organism. You're saying, wait a minute. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Because a single-celled organism, a slug or an insect is still a creature created by God. See, there's a separation. Theologians call it transcendence. The transcendent nature of God says that He is far, far above all of His creation. Psalm 113 tells us that He stoops and He looks down on creation. He looks down upon the heavens. Think about it. 
Okay, so God's character and nature is so high above, there's a separation. Now here's the beauty. In the incarnation, transcendence, God's other than, higher than nature, became imminent. Imminent means right near, closer than our skin, right down into the flesh. He wrapped Himself and clothed Himself in humanity. He bled. He had pain. He scratched His knees when He fell as a kid. He experienced it all. We are created beings. Jesus went from uncreated, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present God to becoming a creature. This step alone is mind-blowing and mysterious. You see, we've, we've become so familiar with the Christmas story and the baby in the manger and, you know, the wise men and the shepherds and the cattle's lowing and the sheep and that has just become a cute, sentimental little story and sometimes we forget that the God came down into flesh. The uncreated became a creature. Whoa. Right? And then the next part of the text says he became a slave. And you're like, what? where did he do that? I'll explain. By the way, He did it all for love. He did it all for love. Jesus acted as a bondservant. That's the term that's used for Him, and He described Himself that way, and that word bondservant also means bondslave, first and foremost to God and then to others. His entire existence was one of servanthood to others. When He bowed down and washed His disciples' feet as a common house slave would do, He demonstrated what His entire life mission had been up to that point. The whole life mission of Jesus was, I'm going to come down and become humanity's slave so that I can win them back to my Father. Ray Hu tells this story in a magazine article called Turn Your World Upside Down. He says, during the 19th century, a group of missionaries in what is now Suriname in South America wanted to reach the inhabitants of a nearby island with the gospel. Most of the islanders were slaves on large plantations that covered the island. The plantation owners feared the gospel and its results. Did you hear that? The plantation owners feared the gospel and its results. And they wouldn't even allow the missionaries to talk with the slaves. They would allow only other slaves to talk with the slaves. So the missionaries sold themselves into slavery in order to take the gospel to the islanders. Working in bondage in the harsh conditions of a tropical climate, they reached many of these slaves with the good news of Jesus Christ. See, that's a modern day picture of a human being saying, I'm going to take on incarnational Um, attitude, an incarnational mission. I'm going to take on the Spirit of Jesus, and I'm going to go to the very people I need to reach and become one of them in order to suffer with them and love them that I might bring them the good news. That's profound. When I read that, I'm like, I don't even think I'm a Christian. Anybody else feel that way? Come on. Next, he died like all humans do, and he did it all for love. He entered into that most humbling and mysterious of human experiences, death. He died a human death like all of us. Everyone in this room will experience death. He suffered. He experienced the separation of death. He passed over the darkness and the uncertainty that we will all do. Wow, God experienced human death. Just think about that for a minute. He experienced what it's like 
to pass through that uncertain, unknown place called death. I mean, I'll hear people sometimes, I'm not afraid of death, and maybe you're really not. But when I start to really wrap my head around dying, and I do that pretty regularly, you might say, that's morbid. No, it's not. It's real. It's being human. I'm not in denial about it. I'm going to die someday. I better start facing it now. I hope to die well. Right? When I die, I want to die like in Jesus, like with some faith and some love and some hope. I hope I die well. So I might as well start preparing for it rather than living as though it doesn't exist like most of American culture. We hide from it. We don't face it. We don't look it in the eye. We don't talk about it. And that kind of denial, we keep our kids from funerals. Worst thing you could ever do. They need to see and understand this reality. This is the way of all men. This is the way of the mortal. And you are the mortal. And our Savior and Lord, who's God in the flesh, lived to the point that He died like you and I die. He experienced the reality of human death. And then Paul goes lower. He keeps going lower and he says, wait, wait a minute. He didn't just die. He died a criminal's death on a Roman cross. And he did it all for love. He did it all for love. He didn't just die, but he experienced the most humiliating death that a person could experience at that time. The cross was a cruel and unusual punishment like nothing that exists in the modern world. He was stripped naked, naked, beaten bloody, and hung on a torture device that made death as slow and painful as possible. Only non-Roman citizens and the worst criminals of the state could be crucified. Jesus died the worst possible death because of love for us. So do you see what the Father is demonstrating through Jesus? Look, I'm not only going to send you, son. You're not only going to have to go and live through their humiliation. You're not only going to have to live and, and, and go through the difficult things that human beings go through. But right from your birth, there's not even going to be a place for you to be born. You're going to have to hang out with animals. And then after that, your family's going to have to flee. They're going to have to flee as those who are being pursued by the state from a murderous king. And, and you're going to have to go over a border. And you're going to have to live in a foreign land in a foreign community being rejected by an Egyptian culture and you're going to have to live there as an alien. Whoa. And then after living there as an alien for a while, you're going to have to go back to your land and live in a place that's unknown. In relative poverty, the poverty of that time of an average family is pretty rough. And then after you've done that for a while, you're going to eventually come into your ministry and you're going to come into your service and you're going to heal the sick and love people. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to multiply fish and loaves. You're going to walk on water. You're going to do all these miracles. But let me tell you what's going to happen. People are going to love you for a while, but when they don't get their way and they can't manipulate you and use you politically for the system, they're going to take you and put you on a sham trial, and they're going to bring in false witnesses, and they're going to make up lies and stories about you, things that are untrue, and then after they mock you and spit on you and rip your beard from your face and put a phony crown of thorns on your head and beat it into your head and then punch you continually in the face until you are beyond recognition, after they do all that, they're going to take a cat of nine tails whip that has bone fragments and glass and metal fragments, and they're going to beat you and beat you until you are like hamburger, bleeding profusely everywhere. And then they're going to put you up naked on a Roman cross. And they're going to hang you up for the whole world to see. And then they're going to mock you and laugh at you and make fun of you. And say, hey, come on, why don't you do something to deliver yourself? And after all that's happened, you're going to die. He did it all for love. Because of love. 
But aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? Whew, if it stopped there, that's a depressing story. If it stopped there, he's just another martyr. If it stopped there, great, another person who died for a cause. But it didn't stop there. Because verses 9 through 11 then tell us this, the ascent, he was lifted higher. Therefore, God elevated him. If you stopped right there, that's powerful. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now walk with me quickly through this. The Father elevated him to the place of highest honor. Now you go, wait a minute, Jesus was God before he came to earth. Jesus already had the place of highest honor before He became a human. He was God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. However, the Father now gave Him the place of highest honor among human beings. The highest name ever. Though many deny His place of honor, and many won't acknowledge His Lordship over the earth, and the fact that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Though many deny that, we know that Jesus has captivated the imagination and the affection of people through all of history and time, and He's the most compelling and honored person ever born on planet earth. We don't know what to do with Jesus. Every culture is faced with the question, who do men say that I am? And every culture has to wrestle with that reality. And if you look at world history, one thing you'll see, civilizations have risen and fallen, philosophies and religions have come and go, and they all end up on the dust heap, but Jesus and His kingdom just keeps on rolling, baby. It's like a giant snowball, it gets bigger and bigger the longer it rolls down that hill, and it grinds grinds to powder every kingdom that withstands it, and nothing can stand before Jesus, and this kingdom keeps going, and this person keeps rising out of love. Good old-fashioned, in the roots and in the bones, love. The love of God conquers all. Secondly, the Father gave him the name above all other names. I know you know this, but during biblical times, a name was very significant. Names captured a sense of the character, the nature, the purpose, or the destiny of a person. A name represented your reputation or your prophetic identity. Jacob named each of his 12 sons and attached a prophetic blessing to their names. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh rescues or Yahweh is salvation. Think about that. The person attached to a name is the ultimate revelation of who the person is. When someone says Doug Sherman or someone says Madi Golbianko, you immediately have an image, a feeling or a sense from that name. When somebody speaks your name to someone else, if they know you and someone speaks it based upon their experience with you and of your character and your reputation and your nature and the kind of person you are, feelings and thoughts are evoked. Emotions come up. Amen? It represents who we really are. And the Father bestowed on Jesus the greatest reputation, 
honor, power, authority, image, position, and connection to himself. Jesus has the highest name in human history. His name will be held in honor for all of time. Because when we say Jesus, we immediately have images conjured up in our mind of who we're talking about. Amen? And he has, of all the humans that have ever walked the soil, he has a unique name. And it's the name above every name. I love this text in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Can you put that text in Acts 4, 12 up? It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So that name carries in it power to transform a life. And that takes me to my last point here. Every person through all time will bow before and confess that Jesus is Lord to God's glory. Now, I want to stop before I say it because some people are like, wow, that sounds intense. Does that mean God's just going to force everyone to get down on their knees at the end of time? No. There's not going to be any forcing. You'll see. There's not going to be any forcing. When we stand before the Lord at the end of time, whatever that looks like, the great white throne judgment or what, I, I'm not even sure. We only have glimpses and images in the Scripture. But I want to tell you, when humanity finishes this thing and we stand before Him, nobody's going to have to be forced to do anything. When we see His beauty and His glory and we see His scars which speak of love, when we recognize who He really is finally, as it says in the book of Zechariah, and they will look on Him whom they have pierced. When we see him, everybody's going to willingly go just like this. Jesus, you are Lord. Nobody's going to have to force it. Nobody's going to be compelled. No compulsion here. Sometimes the true identity of a person can be hidden for a time. However, eventually hidden identities will all be revealed. One day, every person ever conceived through all time will know the true identity of Jesus. We won't have to tell him anymore. And the Son of God will be revealed at that time in all of his power and glory for every eye to see. At that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It won't be forced because it won't need to be. Even those who've cursed his name will see his beauty and majesty and power and cry out, Lord! Everyone will know at that point that he did it all for love. He did it all for love. Every knee, every tongue, Jesus is Lord. They're going to be stunned, shocked, and amazed. All of creation is going to see him finally and have to acknowledge that he is master of all. Master of the universe. Amen. Amen.